Hi, guys, and welcome back to the Club Divin Roadmap Series. This is episode seven, and today is all about Bhutan. You've probably heard us talk about it before, but in case you haven't, the Bhutan Wine Company has given Club Divin members the exclusive right to participate in the kingdom's first ever grape harvest. This is going to be happening in July or August of 2024, depending, of course, on the readiness and ripeness of the grapes. And this is going to be the experience of a lifetime. So pay attention and don't miss your chance to participate. This recording today is actually from back in January, and it's a conversation between Divin founder Dave Garrett and the founders of the Bhutan Wine Company, Michael Jurgens and Anne Cross. Michael and Anne share the mission to establish a sustainable wine industry in Bhutan, and they've harnessed the country's diverse climates and soils and are working to cultivate exceptional quality grapes and from them make extraordinary wines that reflect Bhutan's unique agricultural landscape. So get ready to uncover the captivating story of the Bhutan Wine Company and learn more about how you can get in on the action yourself. You ready? Let's take it back to that January recording. Hi, I'm, I'm Dave Garrett. I'm one of the co-founders of, of Club de Vin. With us, we've got Michael and Anna. I'll let them introduce themselves. We're here today to talk about the inaugural harvest of the Bhutan Wine Company and Club de Vin's involvement in that project. So why don't, why don't we start by, uh, by letting Michael and Anna, you guys want to introduce yourselves and a little bit about the project while we're kind of waiting for everybody to show up? I'm Ann Cross. I'm one of the co-founders of the Bhutan Wine Company and the CEO. And I'm really just the eye candy. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think I'm the uh, one of the one of the other co-founders of of the Bhutan Wine Company, and and also you know a, a big wine guy and one of the founding members of Club Devin. So this is a great intersection of of cool shit that we got going on here. Maybe what we can start with a little bit is is just talk about why we're doing this in Bhutan. Yeah, because I think that that's in and of itself is a really interesting story. So. For those of you who don't know, Bhutan is in the Himalayas and it's nestled between Nepal and Tibet. And it's kind of widely renowned for, they don't measure gross domestic product, they measure gross national happiness. And so there's a narrative that they're the happiest country on the planet, whether they are or they're not, you know, it's important to them for their citizens to be happy and that trumps how much money they make, which I think is a really cool way of living. We first went to Bhutan back, I don't know, seven or eight years ago to run a marathon in the Himalayas. And at the time, I did not realize, I, you know, you say the Himalayas and you visualize, you know, Everest and K2 and stuff like that. But, but that's actually not really what Bhutan is. Bhutan is this cornucopia of agriculture. And they are the only carbon negative country on the planet. And they are globally renowned for their sustainable agriculture and their harmony with the environment, which is in line with their, their philosophy of, of how they live. And so I show up expecting snow-covered peaks. And what I see instead is these, these just beautiful terraced valleys with amazing crops growing. And in my head, I'm sitting there thinking like, oh man, I bet the wine here is spectacular. So I'm asking everybody, like, I'm a wine geek, right? I'm there to run a race, but I'm asking everybody, where are the wineries? Where are the wineries? And everyone's like, we don't know what you're talking about. And finally, we ended up at this dinner with these government officials. And I say to the government officials, I go, hey, where's the wineries? I'm not leaving this place until, until I try your wine. It's got to be spectacular. And they say, we don't have it. And I get incensed in part because I'd probably been drinking a little bit. <laughs> so I start, I start lighting these guys up like, you guys are screwing up. You have this beautiful terroir. It's perfect. Like, why are you, you know, you're not doing this. You're wasting what God gave you. You need to start 
building a wine industry today. And, and they say, well, why do you think that? And I go, here's 10 reasons. Diversity of soil, microclimates, beautiful crops, microplastic free water, really vibrant soil. You know, you're growing the, they grow the best mandarin oranges in the world. If you can grow the best mandarin orange, you can grow a, a great, actually, here's a, here's a funny story from the trip that we just went on with Valentino. We took everybody to walk across this one suspension bridge just because it's cool. It's really high and it's about a quarter mile long. We're walking across the suspension bridge and there's this little Bhutanese kid sitting at the end of the bridge. He's got this bucket full of stuff. And he's like, hey, you want to buy something? We're like, sure. So we buy them and it's like this little fruit. We're eating it and all of us are saying, oh my God, this is the best thing I've ever, ever. <laughs> I've ever tasted. And it's like, what is it? What is it? We're asking the kid. He's like, I don't know what you guys call it. Like we call it this. And I go, all right, whatever. And so then the, one of the other guys in our group comes over who's Bhutanese and he goes, he's talking to the guy and Bhutanese, he turns to us and he goes, that's a guava. You guys would call that a guava. And then we all look at each other like, this is the best guava I've ever had in my life. And I go, that's our business model right there. If you can grow the best guava that someone's ever had, you should be able to grow the best grape. So anyways, we start talking to the Bhutanese about them building this wine industry and they're excited and they're interested and, and uh, it aligns with their principles. And so we continue the discussions and, and I end up writing a business plan for them. And this is how you would do it. Let us know when you're done. We want to come and drink the wine. And eventually they get to the point where they're like, we're going to do this. And I'm like, great. And they're like, we want to do it with you. And I'm like, are you kidding? Like I get to be in charge of an entire wine industry for a country. Hell yeah. That's the coolest thing I've ever heard of in my life. And so so we start building the wine industry and, and there's a lot of unknowns, right? This has never been done before. Like the last time a country built a wine industry where there weren't indigenous grapes was probably New Zealand in the 1800s. You know, it's this is this opportunity to find a country that has massive organic potential that doesn't already grow grapes is pretty rare. So we start messing around. We plant the first six vineyards at a bunch of different altitudes ranging from like 1500 feet up to like 9,000 feet. And we plant, what do we plant initially? 10 different varietals? Nine. Nine different varietals? Yeah. Yeah. Three reds or three whites and six reds. Yeah. And then we, we learned what we, we could from the first two or three seasons about how, which grapes were doing well and, and so on and so forth. And then we started moving to the next phase, which was scaling. And we recently planted an additional four vineyards, which are about, they're about 200 acres in total of which we planted about half of them. Because we're still in the, let's try some stuff. And, you know, if the San Giovese doesn't work, you know, let's switch it over to Shannon or whatever, you know, as quickly as we can. So we have 10 vineyards growing 17 different varietals. And we are definitely learning which grapes grow better at the higher altitudes and which grapes go better at the lower altitudes. And one of the things that I'm most excited about, and this is really cool, is so Bhutan at the, at the south side of the country, it's about 500 feet in elevation. At the north side of the country, it's about 27,000 feet in elevation. And the distance between those two points is about 300 miles. So the country basically just goes straight up. But within that, you get to play with pretty much every climate zone known to man. And so we looked at the south and at the 500 foot space or level, and it's jungles. And by jungle, I mean lions and tigers and elephants and monkeys and it's jungle and it gets like 5,000 millimeters of rain a year so we uh we're like yeah we probably can't make anything work there let's write it off so we write it off then we get the idea that says hey it's so hot there that the vines would never grow dormant is it possible that we might be able to prune the plants in summer 
and let them wake up in September and grow over the winter because it's plenty hot and do a harvest in February, which would allow us to A, get two harvests a year, one in spring, one in fall, optimize our, our winemaking facilities. And also in the South, there is tons of land and it's all flat. And so we planted the first vineyard in the South in October. And I'll show you some pictures of it. It's growing like Jack and the Beanstalk down there. It's crazy how, how uh, fertile and um, exciting the South is going to be. I'm going to pop in for just a second. Thank you for the, for the, for the background. I, I always love hearing that story. Super great. The, the, the origin story. I, uh, I want to talk for just a second about kind of Club Devin's involvement with the project and, and where we're going. So, you know, Michael and I have, uh, have known each other for a little while. I've been fascinated with this project since I first read about it, I don't know, three or four years ago. And, uh, uh, and I've been kind of following along and talking to him for a while. And as soon as we started Club Devin, one of the first thoughts I had was, wouldn't it be an amazing trip for our members to go and see the vineyards? And as we were putting it together, Michael and I started talking and he had always had a plan for, to do something really fun and interesting for the inaugural harvest, which, which is, it's coming up. And so what we have put together kind of over the last year is that the, the, the big first club Devin trip will be the inaugural harvest for the Bhutan Wine Company. And to that end, in, back in, was it September or October? October. We put together a, a scouting trip to go to Bhutan with, with Anne and Michael and a couple other people to kind of see what was there, to start putting together the, uh, what the itinerary for a trip would be like, to look and see what, what makes sense to, to create really an amazing experience for our members, but also a way for us to start building a harvest tradition in Bhutan. And so super excited to do it. I unfortunately couldn't make the trip, but, uh, but Valentina from our team went. Most of you, if you're, if you're a member of Club Divinity, you've talked to Valentina at one point or another. So you, you know her a little. And so they went on the trip to kind of figure out what a itinerary would look like, what the trip would look like, and to come back with, uh, with some, some ideas. So I'll, I'll leave it from there and maybe, maybe you guys could talk a little bit about that trip in, in September, October, what you've kind of come back with, and then we can go from there. Yeah. So maybe let's talk a little bit about COVID because Bhutan was one of the bright shining stars of COVID globally. There's, there was a bunch of articles written about how Bhutan, you know, was relatively insulated. They, they were able to inoculate everybody very quickly. Well, the way that they were able to do that is they completely shut the borders down from like March of 2021 to like June of 2022. And then they opened it up and there was a three-week quarantine. And then they finally released the quarantine at the end of September. So we were one of the first groups to come in like two weeks after the quarantine. And, and this is important because we had not been in the country for the, the 2021 season. Now, Bhutan has ridiculously skilled agronomists but they've never grown vinifera before. And so left to their own devices, we're trying to tell them how to prune and stuff over WhatsApp and FaceTime and stuff. And, and uh, we weren't as successful as we thought. <laughs> and so when we got there in October, part of the plan was to really look at having 2023 being that inaugural harvest. And when we got there, we looked at the vineyards who were all doing great, but they had not been pruned in 2021 to, to really optimize 
they had not been prudent in the summer of 2022 to really optimize for the 2023 harvest. And so we looked at it and we said, you know what? It's going to be better if we do it with a little bit more rigor um, and push out the inaugural harvest to 2024. And the reason that we made that decision, and we agonized over it a little bit, but this is a big deal. I mean, this is a turning point for Bhutan. I mean, and it's a turning point for the wine industry. Imagine if you had like one of the first bottles ever produced in Australia or one of the first bottles of wine ever produced in America. I mean, that would be in the Smithsonian. And so we were like, we could make wine in 2023, but can we really do it at the level of scale and respect that something like this demands? And so we're, we made the, the conclusion to, to push it out to 2024. And the idea behind it is really twofold. One, we're going to make what we're calling first barrel. So there'll be you know 300 bottles of the first bottles ever bottled in the kingdom of Bhutan. And you know I'm sure that the first 20 are going to go to the royal family and the government, the museums and the archives. And I'm probably going to grab one of them. And, you know, and I'll probably go. But uh, you know, we'll make some of those available as kind of collector's editions. I, I absolutely can't wait to see what sort of token we're going to mint about around that because that's going to yeah. be like a, I mean, a once in a lifetime sort of thing. And then in addition, you know, all of the bottles from that first harvest will have a special labeling. You know, it is, it is a bottle from the very first year, which is cool in and of itself. I'm sure we'll have a se separate set of tokens for that. But we, we thought it would be great to invite folks to come and participate in that process with us. And um, I think for 2024, what we're anticipating is that we'll do probably 10 weeks. We Our harvest kind of varies quite a bit because the elevations vary quite a bit from our vineyards. Some of them are at 9,000 feet or some are at 1,000 feet. So we figure we'll start bringing people over in July and August and let folks, you know, spend a couple of days doing wine stuff in the vineyards and then, you know, a few days exploring Bhutan and, and getting to do things like go to Tiger's Nest, climb Tiger's Nest, go to the Buddha, you know, do some of the other things that are, are important to do while you're there and have kind of this multi-layered experience, which is going to be wine-focused, food-focused, and Bhutan-focused. One of the other things that we found that I, I wasn't as aware of until this last trip, and I've been to Bhutan a bunch of times, but um, I don't think it ever qu quite hit home, is weather does matter in the summer. And, uh, and so we, we definitely want to try to work around the monsoon season. And so that's going to require a little bit of logistical efforts on, on, on our parts. And what I think it means to all the Devin community is that every week is probably going to look slightly different. You know, we may go to the east earlier in the season and the West later in the season, depending on what the weather's do. But the, the main focus of the trip is going to be very, very similar. Every week we'll bring over, you know, 12 people and they'll spend a few days working in the vineyards, getting dirty, getting sweaty, and then uh, a few days doing some interesting Bhutan stuff. Can you, so just to reiterate, the trip, it, it won't be a big trip where everybody goes at the same time. And, no, and mostly it's just because we can't, we just, there just isn't the infrastructure to be able to handle that. That's correct. So what we've broken it down into is 10 weeks starting in, we think it's probably mid-July yep. and yeah, running right. through the, yeah, mid-July running through the end of September or the end of October? By September. End of September. Okay. And we'll, we'll, we'll know a little bit more from this year because this year the vineyards are mature. They will be producing probably not at quite what we had hoped just because of the pruning from last year. But that'll give us a really good sense of, 
hey, the Yusupong Vineyard's really ready to go September 15th, but you know, the Bajo Vineyard is going to come online in mid-July. And that'll help us kind of lay out what that schedule looks like. And the idea is we'll have 12 people for each week. Yep. And what we'd really like to be able to do is have an overlap for, for each group so that there's one night when the two groups can get together and have a big dinner. And so, so you'll get to meet people from other groups as well. But the, the basic idea is that this is a small, very exclusive, and obviously super intense week for a very small group of people. Can you talk a little bit about what a weekly itinerary might look like? Yeah. So when you get into Bhutan, you have to fly into the Paro airport. That's the only airport. And by the way, it's a fun airport to fly into. <laughs> it's got its own Wikipedia entry on how much fun it is to fly to the Paro airport. But Paro uh, is the second biggest city in Bhutan, the first being Timpu, which is the capital. But the airport is located in Paro. And, and we have a, one of our smaller um, research vineyards is right by the Paro airport. So I, I, you know, I imagine it'll look like you land in Paro at around noon, you go to, to check out the first vineyard. We probably won't do much work in it. It'll probably just be kind of a walkthrough, check it out, and then head into the capital city of Timpu, which is kind of where the, the things like the Golden Buddha are. Hiking the Tiger's Nest Monastery is also kind of a must do when you're in Bhutan. And that is also very near the Paro airport. So I anticipate that we'll give people the opportunity to do that either coming in or going out. And it depends a little bit on the flight schedules. They don't actually fly every day. So we're fettered a little bit by that, but it'll be coming to Paro, maybe hike Tiger's Nest and see the vineyard, or maybe just see the vineyard and go into Timpu. And then from there, either we go to our vineyards in the West and come back to Timpu, or we go to our vineyards in the east and we come back to Timpu and then eventually make our way back to Parlo and, and, and head out. So that's kind of what it'll look like there. It's hard to predict, you know, 18 months out what the weather's going to look like. We had in, in October, we had very good intentions of landing in Paro and immediately going to the east. Weather made that not, a, not an option for us. So instead, we called an audible, ran to the west instead spent some time in the West and then came back and then flew to the East and then came back. So, and this is part of the, the charm of the trip is you're not necessarily going to know exactly how it's going to play out. We're going to have to display a little bit of adaptability based on a, a country that doesn't have a lot of infrastructure and, and it's got some weather pressure in the summer, but that's what makes it fun. This is a full contact winemaking. Full contact well, wine, exactly. W welcome to the NFL. And the other thing we should talk about, Dave, is the idea of the steering committee, because I think that's that's another great opportunity for the the club to vin community. Well, let, let's let's answer. There's a couple of couple of things that that, that I want to talk about really quickly first. So a couple of the questions in the Q and A are about varietals, vineyards, elevations. I think what we should do, maybe between now and the next call, I'd like to work with you on a map where we can actually put the vineyards on a map show which varietals are in which vineyards, how big each vineyard is, and do we could maybe do a little interactive map where people can kind of click around sure. and see um, and really get some detailed information, like mm -hmm. when the vineyard was planted, what varietals are there, you know, exactly what that's going to look like, and maybe even a couple sample itineraries. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think we could do that all very quickly with something that's kind of clickable, build it in Figma, easy to look at, but that might give people a, a lot more information to answer some questions and just give people like a, you know, a, a little sense of what that, 
what that looks like. One of the, so, so I, I see some questions for that in the Q and A, just know that for the, for the next call between now and the next call. So, you know, in the next couple of weeks, you'll get access to some sort of a map with more information and we'll be building on that when we have more, you know, as we get more information in, we'll just keep adding to that as like a central source of truth and just keep building, building on that. Does that make sense? It does. And um, it may be, but I do kind of want to address the stylistic question that had come through. Yeah. I think that's interesting. Yeah, yeah. And I'll, I'll kind of share with everybody what our vision is here. Bhutan is special. It is a magical place. That it's, a, it's a bucket list journey for many people. And it, when you go there, you'll understand why. It's just this, this crazy, magical environment. And the place just kind of thrums with this really serene energy. But it's powerful. I kind of, an analogy I use is like, remember when you were a little kid and your grandma would give you like these giant hugs and it was like overwhelming, but you also felt safe and happy at the same time. That's the way I feel about Bhutan when I land. There's just this powerful energy that just surrounds you. Our goal is to try to capture the essence of that in a bottle. We don't know exactly what that's going to look like yet because we haven't harvested any grapes. But I can tell you what we're not going to do. We're not going to oak the shit out of it. We're not going to use a bunch of interventionist winemaking techniques to make a stylistic wine that that we want to try to compete with the Napa Cab. I could give a shit about any of that stuff. Our goal is express Bhutan in a bottle. And I, and I hope that it's unique, and I feel like it will be unique and distinctive, but I don't know exactly what it's going to look like. The other thing that I can tell you that we're not going to do is we're not going to do natural winemaking. One, because science is real. <laughs> and... <laughs> <laughs> so we kind of want to make drinkable wine, but, but more importantly, there are, so Bhutan, like I, like I mentioned, is the only carbon negative country on the planet and they are on track to become the first hundred percent organic country in the world where everything in theory would be organic, all crops, all varieties. The downside of that is that there's monsoon pressure in the summer. And so that that's going to put some mildew pressure on the vines. And if we're dogmatic about you know, take natural winemaking aside, but even if we're dogmatic about organic farming, that could put us in a situation where the grapes may not be as good as they could have been if we had been sort of mildly interventionist, particularly in the vineyard. So I think our, our plan is to be organic-ish in the vineyard and then in the, in the winery when we actually make the wine to be as non-interventionist as possible from a manipulation perspective and try to really capture what what that looks like do you think that some vineyards might be organic and some might be less so depending on where they are what the elevation is what the what the individual microclimate is yep and as a matter of fact we have one of our current vineyards is 100 percent organic right now today and we are trying to keep it 100 percent organic so we can learn what techniques work and what don't and so yeah over time i would love to get there i don't know if we'll ever get there just given the fact that you got to harvest in the summer when it's raining and you got to keep mildew from, from killing the grapes. The good news is, is there are not a lot of, you know, the traditional pests and diseases that we see in other places. You know, there's no phylloxera, there's no Pierce's disease, there's no ESCA. There's, unless we bring it in with us, there, there's, yeah. there's nothing there, which, which gives us the opportunity also to grow on own rooted vines, which I think is really, really cool. It's, it really kind of harkens back to the essence of, you know, true vinifera. You know, the science is a little bit, I think, inconclusive on the use of rootstocks, other than guarding against phylloxera, which I don't need to guard against. So, 
So do you have, is there a percentage of the, of the vines that are already planted that are own rooted? Is so, it a hundred percent? So no, everything that we planted already was imported. We plant the first round of vineyards we imported from California. The second round we imported from France. We now have about six nurseries in the country where we are propagating vines with the intent of, of moving towards own rooted vines. Now, it, who knows, right? You know, this hasn't been done before. So we may plant own rooted vines and find that there's, I don't know, a Bhutanese caterpillar that loves vinifera rootstock and we have to go back to grafting. But that's, that's sort of the vision is to try to get as close to this harmony with the environment as possible without being dogmatic or stupid about it. Right. Okay, cool. There's a question about costs and I know we don't have it definitive yet, but can we talk in general about accommodations, a little bit about like, what's included and a little bit about general costs. Yep. So there's, there's some variability here in the sense that the, the Bhutanese currency is called the Noltrum and it's pegged to the rupee and it bounces around a little bit. So that's, a, that's you know, a consideration. We have inflation that is uh, you know, running around right now. And then the, the third piece of this is Bhutan closely controls who can come into the country. And one of the ways that they do that is they, they charge a tourist tax every day to be in the country. And they just doubled that. It was like a hundred bucks. Now it's like 200 bucks. But I would guess that the, the cost for the trip was, would be between 12 and 15 grand. And that would include sort of travel and country, lodging, food, wine, all of that stuff with the intent that there's, there are some pretty nice hotels in, in, in Bhutan. We'll probably stay in a couple of those. And then some nights we're going to be staying out in the middle of nowhere where the hotels are not as nice. And we even talked maybe about with, with one of the vineyards, the Gorsalu Vineyard in particular, actually setting up some clamping pods on site and letting people stay in the vineyard, which would be really, really cool if, if we can pull it off. We're going to need to clear some land down by the river to make that happen. But uh um, that's and so those costs are all inclusive once you arrive. So it doesn't include travel to Paro or it does it, it does include travel to Paro, but once you arrive in Paro, that includes everything. Correct. And especially it includes, we plan on bringing a bunch of great wine. We've yeah. got a really, really good budget for bringing in wine from all over the world and doing some really interesting tastings with local cuisine. We've talked about bringing, like working with a bunch of local chefs. And as you were saying, like some of, some of the best produce, some of the best food in the world. And, you know, for really for the first time, tasting world-class wine with local, local Bhutanese cuisine. So this is, there'll be a, there'll be a lot of firsts there. So yeah, and I think imagine he, a, a good portion of that 12 to 15 grand is going to be in the wine. pretty excellent wine. Yeah. The other thing that we, we are likely to do is for the folks who are interested We'll probably create some add-on opportunities where it would be, you know, not part of a, a the curated trip with everybody else. But if you wanted to stay there for two weeks instead of one, we could we could coordinate, let people go trekking on some of the the treks through the Himalayan mountains, or if the the second highest golf course in the world is in, is right outside of Bhutan, and we have the opportunity to go play that. If you want to go hit balls at ten thousand feet and see how far you can, uh, how many yards you can put on your drive. So there's other things that that we might allow as potential add-ons as well. We're also going to, to do some kind of interesting things around this trip. So sometime between now and sometime probably right around a year out. So in June or July, we're going to tokenize all of the seats for this trip. 
So 12 seats per week for 10 weeks. We'll have 120 tokens that will be a, basically an NFT that you'll be able to mint that will be an RSVP for once for a seat on that on a particular given week. You'll be able to mint those in advance. It'll be basically the, for the cost of a deposit. But the concept will be if each of each of our members will have the ability to buy to buy one and then another one if we sell out or if we uh, if we have some left over with the idea being that you might be able to purchase one and then resell one when we get closer to the date. So there's going to be some opportunities to some small DeFi opportunities for, for this trip. And we're, we're still working on exactly what the costs are going to be. It's still a little bit too far out for us to know, but you can imagine it's going to be between that, you know, $12,000 and $15,000 per person for the eight day trip. The other kind of thing that's really interesting is when your RSVP token is redeemed for the trip, it will turn into an allocation token. And this, this is actually really important. So these allocation tokens are going to provide the holder with, at the very least, the ability to buy six bottles a year for some number of years that we'll, that we'll, we'll kind of decide closer in. But really, it's the only way to guarantee an allocation from this vineyard. So all of the people that come to this inaugural harvest event or our harvest experience will have automatically have an allocation for the first some number of vintages from, from the winery. So we're really excited about that part as well. And now I'll let you talk about the steering committee. Sorry. Sorry. Just no, no, no. I think, I think that's great. Yeah. And then, you know, we, we need to sort of work out exactly what the allocation means. I, I think I could see it being something like maybe you just get bottles from the first harvest as part of that trip. But okay. then in future years, you have the option to, to purchase, you know, a certain amount. We'll, we'll, we'll kind of see. There's some legal requirements in there as well around yeah. shipping. The, the good news is, is I know the guy who wrote the, the, the regulations for the Bhutanese wine industry pretty, pretty well. Matter of fact, it was me. So, uh, so the shipping <laughs> out of Bhutan is less of an issue as the shipping into wherever it is people happen to live. So we got to worry about those kinds of things too, but all that can be. Well, you guys by the see time that wine's ready, we're going to have our, our logistics systems will be set pretty, pretty well set up. So I feel pretty confident that we're going to be able to get wine to people pretty easily. Can, can I show some, I do want to talk about the steering, steering committee, but maybe I'll show some, some Bhutan pictures really quick. That's cool. Yeah, that'd be great. All right. Oh, well, and let me just say while you're, while you're starting that, you know, I, I have opened up the Q and A. We've got some questions going right now, but if you have questions, please feel free to, to put them in the Q and A, please feel free. Or if you want to, if, you, if it's easier for you to, to, to put it in the chat, that's great. Or if you'd like to raise your hand and we can, we can, you know, call you up and, on the stage and you can ask questions there, but we, that we really want to make sure that all, all of the, at least all of the questions that we can answer right now, we do answer. So please feel free to, to, to post any questions to the Q&A. So the, this first picture that we're looking at, I talked a little bit about this, the, the South Vineyard, which is actually in, in a town called Gelafu, where we might be able to do multiple, you know, a, a spring harvest. So this is the first vines that we planted in Gallifu to determine whether or not it would be feasible. They look pretty good, right? These vines are three, they're three weeks old in this oh photo. We planted cuttings after three weeks. This is what it looked like in Gallifu. Wow. We planted in October. I already have full bunches of grapes in the first season going through raisin in Gallifu. Like Gallifu to me is 
extraordinarily exciting from a wine perspective. And it wasn't on our radar screen until just like this last year. So we had this idea about the spring harvest. So very, very cool. This is our Pinsa vineyard. This is in the, on the west side of the, the country. It's about 15 acres right now that it's planted. And um, we're probably going to scale it to about 25 acres once we figure out what works well over here. You can kind of see the, the clouds in the background. That's this sort of sun and clouds is, is pretty common in Bhutan. It's, it's beautiful blue skies and then clouds will come in and then they'll, the wind will blow them out. And it's, it's a pretty dynamic weather environment. Here's our crew. You can, uh, you can see Valentina crouched down there in the front. We climbed to Tiger's Nest, which you can kind of see on the backside of the hill here up there. You see like a little white spot. That's the Tiger's Nest Monastery. I've climbed this a bunch of times. I've never climbed it in the rain before this last October. And it's not as much fun in the rain. Yeah, unfortunately, <laughs> the weather wasn't so great. So, but the but the gang that was doing it for the first time totally were warriors and kind of persevered all the way to the top. And when you have the opportunity to go, you'll understand why. But it's it is a trek. It is not you know it's not a simple kind of jaunt through um, the meadows. It's definitely a little bit of a hike. All right. So so this. This is Pinsa? Oh, well, you took the photo, so you would know. All right, so yeah, so this is another view of the vineyard that we were just looking at, just from a different angle. This is the Sir Boom Vineyard. This vineyard is right outside the capital city of Tempu. This is the vineyard that is the most mature and is doing the best. It's also the highest. So this particular vineyard's at about 9,000 feet in elevation, which is pretty high. And we're still dialing in what varietals are going to work well there, but Right now, Sauvignon Blanc seems to be crushing it there. Cab Franc is, is right up there as a close second. Wow. That's our, so the, the guy on the left there in the yellow shirt, that's Russell Moss. He's a, uh, our, our viticulturalist. He was a professor at Cornell of viticulture until about three months ago when he moved over to take the job as a GM of a winery in the Hudson Valley. On the right side, you'll see Francois Reynal. He's our kind of uh, vineyard manager and winemaker in country. He lives full-time in Bhutan. He came from Codestronal, if you're familiar with Codestronal, as many of you I'm sure are. Made wine for them for a number of years and then took on a, a job in Myanmar, helping build Myanmar's first winery. So he's got a lot of experience in, in working in, in these sort of startup kind of conditions where you know, there's not as much infrastructure. So we were really, really fortunate to get Francois on the team and, and living in, in Bhutan full-time. There's a... <laughs> is this is this, this is, no this is Gorchula. this is one of our this is our biggest vineyard currently in the east oh you're right that is Gorchula. yep and so you can see uh, francois is pointing at something the guy on the right is the vineyard manager for that particular vineyard then there's me and then there's uh our our coo named karma he's full-time on the project in bhutan he was the un ambassador for bhutan and then he retired from government life because he wanted to do the wine project full time. So he's been another great asset for us in terms of navigating roadblocks with the government. The government's been highly, highly collaborative with us and it's primarily due to, to uh, Karma's connections. Here's all of us digging around a, a bush in that same, that same vineyard, the Gorshalu Vineyard in the, in the West. Here's a kind of a backing up picture of it. You can just sort of get a sense of the, of the climate and the terroir. You can see on the backside of this valley, a whole bunch of terraces, that's where they're growing rice. And, and so 
we're terracing the left side of the valley, hopefully with grapes. So just to give you some sense, and I, I love the idea of making a more interactive map. I, I literally threw those pictures in a PowerPoint five minutes before this, this call. So we didn't necessarily pick and choose what were the most dynamic images, but I'd love to do that with you, David, on the, on the map thing. I think that'd be cool. Yeah, we'll put together a really, we'll, we'll, we'll start a resource center that has photos, videos, information about the vineyards. We'll do it in an interactive map and, uh, and then we'll just keep adding information to it as we go. So I'm really looking forward to putting that together. We're, we're, this is, this is fantastic. Really cool. And we All right. Have, we have pictures of the vineyards, but the, there's, there's so many amazing other kind of cultural, beautiful spots that will obviously be a part of the experience. So Sure. So two, two quick things, and then maybe we'll take some Q&A. One is I, I do want to touch on this idea of the steering committee. We know that obviously a number of the members of the Divin community are, are, are experts in wine. And, and we want all the help that we can get in helping us figure out this project. You know, it's, it's very dynamic. We're learning daily as we go along and, and pivoting and, and making adjustments. And so we came up with this concept of the steering committee. We're going to limit it to 20 people. And the, if you're on the steering committee, you will do a, another scouting trip this summer, not in 2024, this summer to, to go over and evaluate the vineyards, make sure we're ready for the inaugural first harvest in 2024. Give, every, give us the opportunity to benefit from everybody else's wisdom and, and, and give the folks on the steering committee the, uh, the experience of a lifetime. Um, that'll be tokenized as well, and it'll come with an allocation of, of wine. We are being selective of, of who we'd like to, to join us on that. And so we're going to put out an application form. If you are interested in being on the steering committee, we'll have a form that you can fill out and, and, and send in that talks about you know, why you want to do it and what your experience with wine is. That's a really great opportunity for all of you. And the second thing that I'll bring up is with respect to the financing of this project, we, Ann and I financed the phase one ourselves for phase two, you know, this has been going on for six years. For phase two, we released a series A funding round in tranches. And so the series A round was about 2 million bucks. We filled the first tranche of a million in 2019. We filled the second tranche of 500,000 in 2021. We had hoped to not have to release the third tranche, but now as we're delaying first harvest an, an additional year, we are going to need some additional capital. So we are releasing the third tranche of 500 grand. If anyone wants to consider coming in on that, feel free to reach out to, to us and we can chat about the specifics and send you all the, the information on that. So I'll just kind of throw that out there as an option for folks as well. All right, let's take Great. some questions. So a lot, a lot of them we've answered. What I will say is you, what you can expect over the course of the next few weeks from us is um, access to this resource center with maps, you know, kind of vineyard maps, a lot more detail on the individual vineyards, elevation, varietals, so on and so forth. And then lots of photos and videos. We'll make something really cool for you to access. The other thing that we'll send out in the next month is an application to be on the steering committee. It'll be a relatively short application, but what we wanna do is see who's interested and make some determinations based on criteria like expertise in wine, ability to kind of help us get the word out. There's a, there's a, there's a few other things. And Michael, if you wanna, uh, if you have some other criteria that you wanna talk about now, great. But we'll have a, an application form that we'll send out again in the next month or so that, that you'll get. And then really over the course of the next six to nine months, 
we'll have a lot more information. We'll keep adding information to the, to the, to the resource center. And then after the steering committee trip, that's when we'll have the, the kind of final outline for what the, what the calendar looks like for 2024. We'll have the token sale and, and you'll be able to, you know, really sign up, make your reservation and lock in your seat on the 2024 inaugural Bhutan Wine Company Harvest. Yeah. And I think um, for the, for the steering committee, at some level, it's a bit of a dry run for 2024, right? We'll take, instead of taking 10 groups, we're going to take two and do something very, very similar from an itinerary perspective. More importantly, I think about this as follows. It's one thing to grow great grapes, but then we got to turn it into great wine and then we got to sell the great wine. And so I think it's for the steering committee, we're looking for people who can help accomplish those things, whether it could be because you're an influencer and you can help get the word out about Bhutan. There's a lot of interest on Bhutan already. I think I gave over 50 interviews in 2022 in seven different countries about the project because it's Bhutan. It's interesting. It hasn't been done in, you know, 150 years. So, but nevertheless, you know, get the word out. It could be because you have expertise in, in viticulture and you can help us kind of think through things like our Gorshu vineyard currently is DSP, but we're thinking about going to Highway, pros and cons. And we're, we're going to maybe start experimenting a little bit with that. It could be from a, a sales and marketing perspective. We've got, you know, we've got a bottle that we've got to design. We've got a label that we've got to design. I will tell the, the naming story though, because the naming story is spectacular. So we were thinking about what do we call the, the brand? And in Bhutan, it's traditional when a baby's born, you take the baby to the local monastery and there's special monks whose job it is to name shit. And they'll name the kid and they give the kid a first name and a last name which is maddening because you, everyone has different last names. You have no idea who's related to one another by their names. And so we had this idea, we're like, hey, we got these, these monks, we're collaborating with the, the monasteries, they're blessing our vineyards and helping us you know, grow the grapes. Why don't we have them name our, our, our baby? And so we go to the master namer monk, we're like, hey, name our baby. And he goes, no problem, we got this. So about six weeks later, they come back and they go, all right, the name of your winery is Ser Camp. And we go, all right, what does that mean? <laughs> and uh, they go, no, 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 it's, it's great. Listen to this. Uh, when you go to a Buddhist monastery, it's considered customary to bring an offering to the gods. An offering could be money, it could be food, or it could be alcohol. And if the offering is alcohol, it is called Ser Kem, and it is the alcohol of the gods. And we think that your winery should be named that. And we're like, that's fucking awesome. We're totally doing that but I need to figure out a good way of telling that story on the label. So, you know, those of you who have insights on the sales and marketing of wine, you could be on the steering committee and help us figure out the best way to, to tell that story because it's a really cool story. Let's drink a lot of great wine and come up with, uh, with, a, with a really good narrative for that. I love the nectar of the gods. I think that's, that's, uh, that's kind of how I've, I've looked at this project for a long time. So that's why all of our, our membership tokens are the different gods of wine. So I, I love that. I think it's really great. I think it's awesome. Yeah, it's a really, really cool story. Other questions from the crew? Let's see. I think we've kind of, I think we've kind of Thank hit you. them all. So, and we are, we are over time. So what I want to do is say, I think, why don't we, why don't we close for today? I'm going to post the video and, and then imagine that we'll have several more of these. The next one will be after we post the resource center and after we put the application for the steering committee out. So maybe a month or six weeks from now. 
But you can imagine pretty regular conversations between now and, you know, the date of the first trip. So lots to do, really looking for feedback from everybody. So, you know, please take a, take a minute, digest what we've talked about today and just know that this is a work in progress. So any feedback that, that you have, any kind of ideas that you have, we're, we're really open to hearing it. So please give me, you, everyone has my email address. Feel free to just write me directly and I'll start kind of collecting questions, collecting feedback, collecting suggestions, and uh, and we can address them all as we go through this process together. But we're all really excited. And uh, and thank you, uh, Michael and Ann, for taking the time to to go through this today. We're, this is going to be, this is going to be fantastic. Ah, we're so excited. We're so bummed. This is seven or eight years of, of hard work on our part. We're finally starting to see, you know, the fruits of our labors, literally. So looking forward to it. That's Thanks, great. Thanks. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. Take care. Thanks. Cheers, guys. All right, bye-bye.